today we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, or also called the Feast of Booths, or it's also called the Feast of Ingathering, or it's also called Sukkot. And this was, uh, the, these feasts, they were set into the Jewish calendar because what, what, what type of society was, uh, was Israel? What, what, what was their economy dependent on? Crops, yeah. Uh, it was an agrarian culture. They went by the seasons that were, they went by the seasons because that is what determined how things were done. If they had a good, uh, if they had a good harvest, that meant that it was a good year for them. And what the Feast of Tabernacles was, was it was towards the end of the, of the, of the year for them in terms of crops. And it was a way for them to celebrate what God had provided for them, uh, through, throughout the year. So, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, this is the, uh, the, the, the big, the, the, the largest feast of the year. This is the one that everyone wanted to go to. And this was, um, uh, they, they said that if you were a male over the age of 20, you should, you have to go to this feast. And then if people wanted to go with them, then, uh, all the more, uh, all the better for them. So they would go to they would go to Jerusalem, and um, what the and and we'll we'll look at what the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was. Um, we're going to read this passage from Leviticus, and it's um, eleven verses. It's quite a bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for three volunteers, and uh, if I can have you each read one block of text, that would be great. Can I ask at uh, this table right here? Can I ask Tay, Annie, and David? Can you each read one of these blocks of text here in Leviticus? And this is what the Feast of Bo- it's also it's called the Feast of Booths here. Um, it's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, but um, we'll see what the Word of God has to say about it. Uh, tell you, go ahead. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, He spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as time of holy convocation. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gift, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Beautiful. Thank you. So, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles that, that's spoken of here, this t- took place uh, towards the end of the, the 
agricultural year. So around uh, late September, October, and what it was was uh, a celebration. So the so after after a long long year of hard work, uh, the people have harvested their crops. They've they've went through the the. Uh, they they went through Passover. That's the, they're just so there's intense work, and it's followed by this intense spirituality. Um, Passover, the blood, and then God says at the end of this, what I want you to do is I want you to celebrate. I want you to party. So feast, the feast of booths was just a joyous occasion, and some people say that the pilgrims modeled Thanksgiving after the feast of tabernacles or feast of booths because why did the Pilgrims want to celebrate Thanksgiving. They wanted to celebrate what God had done for them. They wanted to celebrate how God had provided. And this was, this was very much how the Israelites thought about this festival. We want to celebrate what God had done throughout the year. And more than that, they wanted to remember what God had done for them throughout their history. So just a quick recap of what happened to the Israelites. So where were they enslaved? They were enslaved in Egypt. And how long were they in the desert? 40 years. So that's a really long time in a desert where it's, it's dry and it's, it's, there's, you can't really do much in a desert if you, especially if you can't stay in one place. So remember the, the Israelites, they wandered. So there was never a time when they stayed in one place too long. So the fact that they could settle down, the fact that they could grow crops, that meant that they were sticking around. So they wanted to celebrate God's faithfulness to them in bringing them out of slavery and bringing them through the through the um, desert. And then also, a uh, bit of trivia for you guys. Maybe you guys can, can answer uh, this question. How did God lead them through the desert? Uh, yeah, a cloud, pillar of fire. So this plays prominently into... Uh, the the symbolism and the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles. So in order for us to understand the significance of the Feast of Tabernacles, we want to understand the history of Israel, what God had done for them. So this is what it was. Um, it was it was seven days of, of partying, um, and actually eight days because um, it says that the final day should rest. So this is eight days of rest and party. So let's go through the elements of the Feast. So uh, the first one is this, and I think I have this underlined. Uh, God tells the Israelites, don't do any work. So the very beginning of the feast, the first day, what does God want his people to do? He wants them to rest, right? And then he says, at the end of this party, what, do they, what does he want them to do? He wants them to also rest. So is there... Um, what, what does this remind us of? Is there a biblical term for this? Sabbath. The Sabbath. Yeah, so God is telling his people, look, you guys have worked hard, and I want you to rest. And what is, why do why does God command us to observe the Sabbath? <laughs> right. Um, and and in terms of on a human level, what do we do with Sabbath? What is what should we be we be doing with Sabbath? Yeah, um, and it, it's it's to refresh ourselves, it's to rest ourselves, it's to give us uh, a time to recharge. And what Sabbath is 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 God telling His people, I want you to know that you can stop working because 
ultimately everything comes from me. I'm the one that provides for you. It means that you're not God. Whenever you rest, whenever you put your head down on the pillow, you're saying, I am not God. I recognize that I have a creator that provides for me and gives me all that I need. And that doesn't mean that I don't work, but ultimately everything I have comes from the hand of God. So this is the first element of the feast. The second element is the food offering. So the people were to bring what they had, they were to present it to God. But again, this this goes along with the provision of God. Do, is God ever hungry? God is never hungry, right? God doesn't need the food that the people are providing. But what the significance of this is, is that he he wants his people to remember, where does your food come from? I'm the one that gave it to you, so I want you to bring your food offering. The third element of the food. Yes, Warren. Um, how do they, I mean, it looks like when they came from different areas and they just parked themselves somewhere, mm-hmm. and you've got seven days to do the food offering. Right. What would they bring? What did they bring, and how do you offer, no, there's no refrigeration? Right. I mean, did they cook every day? And yeah, well, there's... um. Yeah, so they would uh, they would do some of these sacrifices there. So it says uh, the burnt offerings. Um, so people would flood in Jerusalem. They would do burnt offerings there. It says, uh, if we look in the middle of um, the passage on the left side of the page, um, food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings. So this is something they may have brought from home. Um, drink offerings. So uh, they, they carried it with them. Uh, I, I'm not... 100% sure as to whether or not there were like merchants there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that this was stuff that they brought because they harvested this themselves. So God provided it for them. So they're going to bring it to offer to God. So it's like if they had maybe some days they brought some sheeps, maybe. Uh, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I just get yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing it was a huge smelly mess uh, at this festival. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the booths, the booths are also the tabernacles as it's known um, in this uh, for this lesson. So what is the function of, bo- of booths? Why does God want his people to live in booths? So let me, um, uh, so what God wanted the Israelites to do at the Feast of Tabernacles was he wanted them to construct a little booth or a little dwelling. Um, I should have practiced drawing before this. Is is that, like, dimensionally correct? Okay, so, I mean, let's just, this is a roof, right? This is um, the wall. These are the walls. And what God told them to do is, he said, when you all go into Jerusalem, there's no, like, uh, Ramada Inn or Motel 6 or anything like that. There are all these people, um, so they have to stay somewhere. God is telling them, create your own booth booths to live in to dwell in so uh they they, so there was wood and then they would lash the wood together and then they put um, branches and and leaves to to create the walls of the booths and so this is what god is telling them to create and it's not just it's not only out of necessity that these booths were created they were created so to signify something so um, let's think about the history of the Israelites again. When they were in the desert, 
what do you think they lived in? They lived in tents. Yes, exactly. So what the booth signified was the tents. And it's them, it's, it's a visual reminder to the Israelites. Do you remember where you came from? Do you remember how you lived before? When you're living in the desert, it, this is a temporary place. You can't set your, you can't set your stuff down for too long. And I want you to recognize that this is where I brought, what, you, what I brought you out of. So these tents, they're temporary. Um, and it's to signify that God had delivered them from slavery and from this temporary place. Um, and also, who else lived in a tent? Or let's put it another way, who else lived in the tabernacle or dwelt in the tabernacle? God himself. So the presence of God, this is huge in the Feast of Tabernacles. Not only do humans dwell in tents, but God also dwelt in a tent. When he meets with his people in the tabernacle, his, uh, it's, it's called the uh, Shekinah glory, the presence the, or the glory of the presence of God. This is what filled the tabernacle. So what is, uh, do you guys know what the most prominent um, item in the tabernacle was? The, uh, or what, what was the Ten Commandments held inside of? The Ark of the Covenants. So this was the most prominent feature in the tabernacle. This was in the Holy of Holies. And um, the Feast of Tabernacles takes place after the the uh, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And let me, um, I don't know if I should try drawing again, but let me see what I can do. So the date, <laughs> this is terrible. All right, I'm going to... Um, This is so bad. All right. This is the Ark of the Covenant. What was on the Ark of the Covenant? Two cherubim cherubim with wings that were covering the Ark of the Covenant. And there's there's a lot of rich symbolism here because the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, Kippur literally means covering. And the priest would sprinkle blood on top of... Uh, on the on the ark, and it would cover the wings, or it would get on the wings of the angels that were covering the 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 ark. And what this was, uh, so there's this imagery, this motif of covering. The booths provide a covering for the people of God, or the of the of the inhabitants. And the booths are. Uh, be, what, what what this signified was that um, God had covered his people. The Day of Atonement meant the day of covering when God had provide, provided a shelter for his people. And also when the when the um, Israelites were in the desert, what did the what did the cloud do? It covered the people, right? It provide it sheltered them from the sun, this hot burning sun in the desert. So there's this motif of covering when we think about the booths. So this, again, is another reminder that God has been your covering. God has been the one that has protected you. God has shielded you, not only from the, the heat of the sun, not only from the elements, but also when, when we're celebrating the, the Day of Atonement, God had covered them. God had protected the Israelites from death. So this is why the uh, booths were a big part of this festival, was because he wanted his people to have this visual aid of what God had done for them. 
So he's saying, um, I've covered your sin, and now I want you to celebrate by entering into a place of covering. He covered him, they, he covered his people with a cloud. Again, remember when you go inside this tent, when you go inside the tent that protects you from the sun, remember how I protected you from the sun in the desert with a cloud. So it was a visual reminder to his people. Um, so that's the, one of the biggest parts of the festival. Any questions, comments? The, um, so there was a, a, a series of festivals and um, <clears throat> events in the life of Israel. And the, uh, the Day of, of Atonement was, um, this was celebrated, I believe, eight days prior to, prior to the Feast of Tabernacles. So they're both, rem- like the Passover is a different reminder of Egypt. This is the reminder of when they were in the desert. The Feast of Booths was... It was a reminder of when they were in um, when they were in the desert, but also uh, how God had provided for them throughout this throughout the year. So, um, kind of like Thanksgiving again. Okay, let me move on. So the next element was the water ceremony. So we don't see the water ceremony spelled out in this passage. And there are other parts of other books in the Bible that talk about this feast. But we see this, um, it, it's developed over time. And then in the New Testament, we see that Jesus actually goes to the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of the Booths. And there is this water ceremony. So what it was, was it was symbolic, very symbolic, because again, Israel is a, or the, the Israelites lived in the desert and rain was, was completely vital to their life. And could the Israelites control when the rain came? We can't control the weather. And in the Bible, rain is a, a, a symbol of God's favor and blessing. So, so when you're in the desert, you're always thinking about where is the rain? When is the rain going to come? How am I going to get the water that I need? So, as as the Israelites are a an agrarian people, um, they're totally dependent on on the crops and the harvest. There's, they were completely dependent on the water supply. And th- what this water ceremony was, was it was a ceremony that reminded the people, God gave us the water and also we're going to ask God to give us more rain for this season. So it, it's, this was um, an elaborate ceremony. This was on the the seventh day of the festival. It was called the Great Day because this is when a procession of singers would follow the priest to the Pool of Siloam. And do you guys remember um, from the life of Jesus what the Pool of Siloam was? What happened there? Yeah, the guy, the guy that um, the blind man, and then Jesus rubbed dirt on his eyes, and he he was able to see. So we see this in the in the Feast of Tabernacles. There would be a priest that would enter the that would go to the pool of Siloam. He would be surrounded by a bunch of singers, and they would chant and sing Psalm one eighteen. And there were musicians. There would be people playing the flutes, and they they go. Um, they he goes to the pool of Siloam. He collects the the water. So in his hand are two. Um, I guess you could say jugs. One of them is filled with wine. The other is with water. He gets the water from the pool. He goes, he goes back into the temple. He goes to, uh, the place where there are two basins and he pours the water into 
the, this basin and he asked God, give us water, give us rain because we need you. We're completely dependent on you to give us the water that we need to live our lives. So this is the water ceremony and we'll talk a little bit more about this towards the end of the lesson. But this was a big part of the ceremony was or a big part of the festival was the the recognition that God had given them water and also that they need water. Uh, the next element, the illumination of the lamps. So God had, I think it was Eileen that said, when the Israelites were in the desert, they had the pillar of cloud leading them. So every night you know, in the desert, I mean, there, there, were, there were no uh, street lamps or anything like that. So how would the people see? There was the, the light of the moonlight, but that wasn't enough. God had provided a light for the Israelites in the desert through the pillar of fire. And the F- Feast of Tabernacles, one of the one of the really prominent features of the feast was that there were four in, in this in the uh, in Jerusalem there were four lampstands and they were about seventy five feet tall so this is really tall especially for uh, an ancient society and on each lampstand there were four um, basins or, or containers of oil so people would climb up there every night and they would light the lamps so the, so imagine four um, really tall towers or lampstands uh, that are just totally on fire. And this, it was so bright that the whole city was illuminated. And Jerusalem, do you guys know uh, how Jerusalem was situated? I'm going to just pretend that this is Jerusalem. Um, we call it the city on a, Jerusalem was on a hill, right? So um, these are all blazing fires. And we, we see in old Jewish texts that rabbis would say, um, you haven't lived until you've seen these things on fire because it was so brilliant and spectacular. And the light would, would illuminate every part of the city. And not only that, but the light would go down because it's city on a hill. It's illuminating the whole area around this hill. So what this would, what this signified was um, the, the presence of God, the, the pillar of fire in the desert, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. Um, and it was also to remind them that the glory of God, this this uh, fire was present in the temple. And so this was, uh, so there's a water ceremony. There was the illumination of the temple lamps. So these were the really big things, the really big elements of the, um, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the, sorry, go ahead. I mean. Yeah, so we have this in Jewish writings. Um, so there's uh, like the rabbis and in the schools they would teach this. So we're looking at the old text of uh, the Israelites and the Jews. Um, and then uh, finally, there was celebration. This was a huge part. God is God is commanding His people. I want you to party. And when we think about celebration, we kind of think of it as you know, it's just the time for me to. Um, be gluttonous and do whatever I want to do. But this is not how God views celebration in the Bible. Celebration includes uh, eating and drinking and being happy and dancing. But there's a very spiritual, very uh, spiritual aspect to celebration. And here's what I mean by that. God wants his people to celebrate because 
he wants us to celebrate, you and me to celebrate, because so often we forget what God has done for us. And when God says celebrate, he's saying, I want you to recognize the life that you have is because of me. I've given you that. And what celebration does is it it, it entrenches us. It, it embeds us in the story of what God has done for his people. So if you've ever gone to a wedding, you eat and drink and you dance and hopefully what that causes us to do is we celebrate the couple that's being married. We're, we're so happy for this couple and their joy becomes our joy. So when we, when we eat and drink, when our bodies are happy, when we're laughing, we're, we're saying their happiness is my happiness and I want to, like, it, it's not about me. So celebration is never about us. Uh, people who, who be, are very self-absorbed and people that can't, stop thinking about themselves, those people don't know how to celebrate because the world is so small. But if you recognize that everything you have comes from God, that's when you can say, all right, I'm a really small, tiny human being, but God is big and I'm living in his story. He's done so much for me. I'm going to celebrate. So what celebration, when celebration is done right, people are we, we forget ourselves. We forget our own lives. It focuses our attention on something greater than ourselves. So let me give an example. Dancing. I know that some people here might like dancing. Um, dancing is, it, again, I think the most, um, probably weddings are the most common venue for us to dance. Um, so good, good dancers, that's great. But do you know what's better than a good dancer at a wedding? A bad dancer. You're a man after my own heart. Because think about this. In order for you to dance poorly, what does that say? It means that you're not concerned about your own dignity. It means that you're not self-conscious, right? And the people that dance badly, those are the people that are truly celebrating. Because they're not thinking about how do I look to other people? I just, I'm so happy I want to dance. And I think very soon, um, either today or so, uh, in a few weeks' time, um, during the worship service, we're going to talk about how David danced before the Lord. Do you guys remember that? And um, his wife, Michal, was embarrassed by her husband's dancing. That's crazy. And David was dancing in his underwear, and David was going nuts. What was David doing? He was celebrating. And this is what God's telling his people. I want you to celebrate. I want you to party. I want you guys to laugh and drink and be happy because I've done this for you. So when God calls us to rest, when he calls us to celebrate, it's not only for our sake. It's for our sake. It's ultimately for him. But it's, it's such a good thing for us because if we can forget ourselves, if we can go outside our, our little ways of thinking like, What's what's that person thinking about me? Or how do I look? How am I presenting myself? If we can get outside of that way of thinking, that's the type of person that's that's really alive. So this is the Feast of Tabernacles. These are the elements of it. So let's talk about what the Feast of Tabernacles... Oh, let me stop there. And um, does anyone have any questions before we move on? We'll go fairly quickly through the rest of these. Alrighty, that's my 10 minute timer. Um, so, okay, let's move on to the how the Feast of Tabernacles functioned 
or why God wanted the uh, Feast of Tabernacles to exist. So, number one, the Feast of Tabernacles looks backwards. So, I spoke about this earlier already because he wanted to remind his people of his provision in the past season. So, if they have a good crop, God was the one responsible for that. And also, he wanted to remind his people of how he provided for them in the desert, in their freedom, and bringing them to the land that they were supposed to be living in. And um, so the, it was twofold that it, it looked backward. And I have these two uh, these two things. I, I kind of covered them already, but the overarching branches. So we see in the text, you're supposed to have branches over the booths. What did they signify? They signified the covering of the people of God. God's had, God had covered them in multiple ways in different dimensions God had covered his people um, the temporary shelters God has given them shelters so you're living in a temporary shelter right now in the booth you're gonna it's gonna stay up for a week um, God has given that to you he's given you a temporary shelter and it's also meant to the Feast of Tabernacles is also meant to look forward so if you turn the page not only have the has God provided a covering God will all also continue to provide a covering with what he gives us uh, for us in a 21st century northern california context god has given you your house god has given you your job god will continue to be faithful to you even if you lose those things god is going to give you exactly what you need the temporary shelter whereas god says I've given you these things. Um, I'm giving you a greater home. Uh, I think it's in Hebrews. It says that we have no lasting city here. Do you remember that? Uh, we don't belong ultimately to this broken, fallen world. We're intended for a, a city that's eternal, a city that is beautiful, a city that is completely whole and perfect. This is what we were intended for. So if you if you think that the life that you have right now or the stuff that you have right now isn't all that great, uh, maybe it isn't, and it's fine to acknowledge that. But remember, in 20 or 30 years or 40 years, you're going to be, your body, your earthly body will be dead, and you're going to be in glory. And I don't know, like, maybe I can ask some of the older people, like, 40 years goes by pretty quickly, right? <laughs> I've known Warren my basically my entire life, so I can pick in Warren, right? It life goes by so quickly, and like I always I always say like I'm hoping that I can grow old with IGC and we'll watch each other um, through all the stages of life, and you know we're all gonna get old and gray and saggy together, um, and that's that time's gonna go by so quickly, and one day we're going home together. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And the Feast of Tabernacles says, you guys are going home forever one day. Um, celebrate what God has done for you and celebrate what God will continue to do for you. So it looks forward not only for for the people of Israel, but also to the whole world. So we have three passages here, Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is reminiscent of the water ceremony. I don't have it here, but this is reminiscent of the water ceremony. The water ceremony is where the pitcher of water was poured out. And I think it was Michael in last week's lesson, he said there was um, there was going to be a great harvest of people. 
this is along the same lines, not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. All the nations will come together. God will pour out his spirit on all people. In Isaiah 12, 3 through 4, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Does this sound familiar? The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of joy, and the priests drew water from the pool. From the, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. The Feast of Tabernacles was meant for the people of God to give thanks to God. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. In Zechariah 14, uh, it, it speaks specifically here of the Feast of Booths. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. So here it speaks explicitly of this feast. It says, all the nations, including Syria and um, Turkey and all these places right now that are held by these Muslim states, one day they will be free. The people from these nations will enter into joy into the city of God. And it's such a beautiful picture, right? So all the nations are invited to the celebration. All the nations are said, are, are, are told, come, look at what God has done for you. Look at this life that God provides for you. So it's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what God is promising coming to fruition. Um, so this is God's harvest of the nations. So the Feast of Tabernacles looks backwards, it looks forward. And before we go to our last point, any questions or comments? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how, how, how are they doing it? Um, so they, uh, if, if you look online, so this is where I did some, some of my research. Um, so the, the very devout Jews will still do this. They, they'll, will create, they'll actually create booths and they'll like, they'll illuminate them with the Christmas lights or something like that. And they'll go through, uh, what's prescribed here and also what's been passed down through the generations. Um, so the, the devout Jews, they will celebrate this. So if you go to Israel um, during during the uh, probably September, October, you'll see this. I don't know if it's celebrated on a mass scale, though. What's the one they celebrate? Hanukkah, that's... Yeah, that's, it's, that, that's not a... Um, it's not a feast. It's it's not a celebration that's centered around the agricultural year. Um, I don't know that much about Hanukkah. So it has scripture. Right, right. Um, Han- it, it might be in the Jewish scriptures. I don't want to speak. I, I'm not very well versed in that, so I don't want to misinform you guys. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Yeah. Are they celebrated in that order or just all together or is there one after another? Is there a significance? I guess what I'm trying to say is like do they celebrate, you know, 
all these things all at once? Uh, oh, you mean for the Feast of Tabernacles, all yeah, these elements? Element yeah, so some things like um, like the rest, like you have to do that the first day and the last day. Um, the food offering is done throughout. Um, the booths stay up throughout the entirety of the feast. The water ceremony happens on the seventh day. Um, the illumination of the temple lamps is, is this happens every night of the feast. The celebration, um, you're meant to celebrate the entire time. So there is a certain order, certain things have to be there. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. There, there's a um, there's a team of priests that lead everything. So when you know, because if it's supposed to be the gathering of the Israelites, I mean, we've we've got people who are of the Jewish faith over here or whatever. Do they? And those may be not practicing, but do they center the do some center the focus on attention of what's happening in? Israel or with the, the, the um, for the, the modern day, I can't say for certain. Um, some someone else will probably know, but I don't. Um, but what I think is, um, uh, there are there are uh, Jewish Jewish uh, people in the in the United States, and they might do this in their temple, um, so on, on a very small scale. And um, in Jerusalem, I'm guessing they have someone else organizing that. Uh, they they actually sacrifice. If you if you go on YouTube, um, you'll see you'll see that there are there's footage of um, of, of Jewish priests uh, sacrificing animals. Um, what I saw was in Israel, but maybe people in the United States. And let me uh so my, uh time I've got a few more minutes, a couple more minutes. Let me go to our last point. And yes, Troy. Uh, out of out of your heart will flow living well, water. So it's just the symbolism that Christ used throughout the Gospels, and even with the apostles, is just amazing how mm-hmm. it points back. Yeah. You know, I just find it for me personally, it's just uh, the unity and clarity of that. You know, salvation is in Christ. Jesus. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, it it's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue into our final point. <laughs> so thank you, Troy. It's like you read my mind. So um, let me just uh, three minutes. We'll we'll be done. Let me talk about how Jesus fits into this picture. So Jesus in the Feast of Tabernacles. So in John 1, 14, John writes about Christ coming into the world. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The dwelling of God is with man. And I have here, if you look in your little side note, dwelt means tabernacled. Um, and we have seen the glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there was um, some theologian, I don't know, I don't remember who said it, but he said that God unzipped the tent of time and stepped into it. And I think he was alluding to this. Um, Jesus has made his dwelling with the people, with the sinful people of God. God, Jesus has tabernacled. He's made, he's, he's, he's entered into the place of the people of God. Um, John seven thirty seven. this is what Troy was alluding to, I believe. On the last day of the feast, the great day, so the great day is what? It's the day of the water ceremony. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said about this, now he, this he said about the spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This, if you look at Joel 2.28, there is a parallel there. Jesus, he sees what the priest has done. He's poured the water into the basin. He said, that water will be there for a little while, but I am the eternal source of water. If you're thirsty, come to me. Come to me and drink. Jesus was very intentional about when he when he was going to say this to the people that would listen to him. He went to the Feast of the Tabernacles to say this. Um, John eight twelve. This is in the same same uh, time period. Je- again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world." What's that reminiscent of? The illumination of the temple, right? I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So just as the te- just as Jerusalem was lit up, it pierced da- the darkness of the entire surrounding region. Jesus says. Not only am I going to illuminate Jerusalem, I'm going to illuminate the entire world. I am the source of all light and life. And then Revelation, um, this is so, like, Troy, you spoke about how uh, Scripture is unified. Let me finish it up by reading you Revelation 21. And read this and listen and see if you can make any parallels to the Feast of Booths. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among among them, and they shall be his people. Do you notice anything that ref- that echoes the Feast of Tabernacles? And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe every wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is in contrast to the celebration, right? And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without costs. Um, celebration and, and no more mourning and tabernacle, and God dwelling with his people, and Jesus fulfilling the thirst of his people. Um, This is what the Feast of Booths is ultimately pointing to, this, right? And one day there will be a uh, type of Feast of Booths. There will be a huge celebration when it's the wedding supper of the Lamb, and we're going to take part in it, and it is such... um, I'm looking forward to it, and... uh, if, if you really think about it, maybe you'll look forward to it with me as well. It's beautiful. Um, any questions or comments? Okay, let me close in prayer. God, we thank you so much for giving us um, your word again and for revealing yourself to us. And we're thankful that not only do you inform us, but you change us. You give us new hearts. And I pray that you would cause us to love you more um, through the, these lessons, through uh, the worship service in a few minutes, God. Be glorified in our hearts and in our minds and in our, in our souls. God, we love you. We thank you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.